Thank you so much for joining The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I am your host, Sharon Feckety, the author of The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I hope you will go on Amazon and purchase the book or download it on Audible and listen to the book so you can get some more insight as to why I decided to start this podcast show a few years ago and continue the conversation. You're going to hear from professionals. You're going to hear from people with lived experience, those that struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Uh, You're going to listen to people that have recovered. Uh, You're going to hear resources about how you can navigate through this broken road to mental health and life in a business. And you will certainly be hearing me talk about the importance of having this discussion in business today. That is what I speak about at conferences, and I hope that you will take it seriously. We need to speak more about mental health in the workplace. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please be sure to tell somebody you know that might be struggling to subscribe, to listen, to watch and share it with others. You are not alone on this broken road to mental health. Hello again, and thank you for being here on this broken road to mental health. Uh, As you know, I'm Sharon Feckety, which most people mispronounce. Fikiti, Fikati, Fikuti, whatever you want to call me, know that it doesn't offend me. (laughs) I'm very happy that somebody is actually just saying my name. So today, I'm very happy to bring you Marnie Stallman, who, well, you know, I don't typically read um, a bio, and I'm not going to read the whole bio because it is very long, but I think it's important that everybody knows um, that Marnie has her PhD, a 36-year career in C-suite healthcare delivery management and medical, educational, and mental and behavioral healthcare organizations. So... Just that alone, can we just say Marnie's an expert? Yes, we can. So uh, we're going to have a great conversation today and hopefully help that one person that might be watching or listening that needs to hear what we have to say today. Welcome to the show, Marnie. Thank you for having me, Sharon. It's a pleasure to be here. It really is a pleasure to talk to you. We, of course, have these great conversations off camera, and then uh, we hope to continue them. But we were, we're both pretty passionate, and that's a good thing. So um, why don't you, why don't we start with you sharing what I did not know, because I've only been interviewing all day long about uh, what President Biden came out with just today. Yeah, um, pretty exciting, actually, particularly since we're just now within the first week of the celebration of Pride Month. But it was nice to see the Biden administration announce today some actions that will hopefully protect protect um, the queer communities that have been so viciously attacked uh, and help to secure their rights and safety. You know, we've seen just an incredible number of anti-LGBTQI laws and legislations that really are violating some of the most basic values and freedoms that I know as an American, I sometimes may have thought to take for granted. Mm -hmm. They're just cruel and callous uh, to our children, to our neighbors, to those in the community. And today, the Biden-Harris administration made a strong statement that they're standing side by side with the LGBTQI community and that they're there to help them try to face down some of these attacks. And so they're going to be working with the Human Rights Campaign, as I understand it, and a number of other uh, organizations federally, the Department of Education, Homeland Security, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, 
to work with community organizations and bring out critical safety resources, trainings, uh, so that people are aware uh, of what they can do. And I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's tied also with the White House's initiative uh, and very vocal speaking out against some of this book banding that banning that we've been seeing and how um, it removes vital resources for student learning uh, and really contributes to stigma and isolation, particularly within the LGBTQI community. Yes, and I am really appreciative that you brought that up. And I'm um, an ally. Anybody that knows me, I am always... Uh, shining my my flag and doing whatever I can in my own community to support um, this beautiful community that I love so much. So I'm very happy to hear this news. Um, it is disgraceful and uh, have been concerned about the safety and the health and of course the mental health of this particular community that has already had their own trials and tribulations just basically not being like maybe what you think is acceptable because of where you're from or what religion you were born into. Mm -hmm. So uh, love always wins, everybody. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but I, I, I'm very happy to talk about this today and, and many other things. You know, as the president and CEO of the Mental Health Association of Central Florida, we also have our own very unique issues here in the state of Florida um, that mm -hmm. we started speaking about how, you know, this is a, a very large conference driven community and the pocketbooks are getting hit a little bit because uh, there are conferences that are currently being canceled. Correct. Can you speak a little bit more on that? Yeah, here in Central Florida, it's no surprise because we are a tourism-based community with lots and lots of different uh, tourism-based attractions here, one of them that's been in the news probably more than most, that we rely pretty heavily on the taxes that are generated from the tourism industry. And I was just reading in our local paper this morning that we had two prominent national conventions that typically choose Orlando uh, to come to that have canceled. Uh, for their 26 and 27 year uh, events um, because of the state of um, the way the state has made itself not particularly open uh, to embracing diversity. I don't think it's a surprise that when we talk about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's not just about how someone looks on the outside. It's also how they are and who they function with on the inside. And from a mental health standpoint, we know that we have a large portion of our population, particularly as we come out of COVID that are grappling with mental health crises and mental health conditions that need to be incorporated when we talk about how to uh, create environments, whether it's in the workplace or the fun place or the home place where those individuals are felt embraced and welcomed um, and, you know, I think it's not a shock. It certainly is not to me that we're going to see more and more um, groups who um, have previously wanted to do business here in the state of Florida decide not to come here because of the way that um, some of the positions that have been taken. You know, and, and when we talk about that, I think what gets buried a little bit uh, out of those headlines is 
who really suffers from that because those tax dollars really are invested and go back to support critical programs and infrastructure. And as we talk here in Florida, across the country, you know, we're pretty high up on the list of uh, affordable housing issues, housing insecurity, food insecurity, all those social determinants of health that sometimes we all take for granted are always going to be there. But then we have people working here within the industry that are helping to drive this economy and support it. And they're living in a van. Right. Oh, all right. I just had to take a little breath there because it is so disturbing. And as both you and I mentioned before that the goal is really to help one person and it, it can be very overwhelming. And um, we were talking before I hit record about how we take care of ourselves because being in this world of mental health, it can be very overwhelming, especially if you are watching the news or you're on social media um, and, and how we we find a place where we can all, not just all just get along, but all just take a breath and realize how our children are being impacted the most. And, and you, we both agree that if it wasn't for this very bold generation that has come um, out of this X world that uh, we would, I would be more nervous, but I, I really feel very, very good about what I see as a global generational trauma that has been passed on and ignorance just being passed on and uh, hypocrisy and uh, ideals being pushed down and anger and hate. And, and I really do believe that we have this wonderful youth that could help solve a lot of these problems, not to put any pressure on the youth now, because we love them and want to support them, but they really are our only hope because we've had, um, so much ignorance, I believe, and, and, and there's so much work to be done. Marnie, I was listening to a talk that you did recently, and I was fascinated, fascinated, not fascinated about how little we are talking about the isolation and loneliness and more mental health issues that have come out of the pandemic. Um, can you give some feedback about that? Yeah, and I'm not the only one obviously having this conversation. In fact, our own Surgeon General just put out a Surgeon General's advisory about this, talking about loneliness and unhappiness and how that can age us faster than smoking. Um, and that what the pandemic did, you know, as as human entities, as beings, we were built to be together. We were not built to be isolated. Um, despite our best efforts to maybe want to be. And so we yearn for intimacy and connection. And what COVID did was obviously just horrifically interrupt that and also create the trauma of loss, right? Mm -hmm. We had an incredible amount of, of people across the world that one day were there and then the next day as, as they did in the Marvel universe disappear because of inability to understand how to control uh, the, the deadly effects of COVID, at least in those early acute days. I mean, I can clearly remember tuning in every night on, on the local media, and there was almost like a death toll where they were telling us the numbers every, every day, day, how every they were day. climbing. Yeah. Um, and now we've moved into kind of this chronic management phase where we've realized 
medically and scientifically how we can stop people from dying from it. But, but what didn't get talked about for a long time because we were in that acute management phase was what was the emotional and psychological effects to the systems in our bodies um, that were having to remain isolated and disconnected. In my own daughter's case, she was 12 at the time. We have three family members that have um, one level or another of a, of a chronic condition, an autoimmune condition. Um, and so um, any contact with somebody, even if they were perfectly healthy, like my daughter, who, who might be a COVID carrier could potentially kill them. Mm-hmm. And that burden, that guilt was really tremendous um, and uh, really took a toll. And so these conditions of social connections that we normally had lived and worked to kind of boost our overall health were impaired, uh, were interrupted. And right. as a result, there's been now actual scientific work done that says it's it's interceded and interrupted the longevity span that somebody might have, that it's continued to increase obesity and um, other mental and physical conditions um, that could create and are cause of physical inactivities. You know, one of the things that was brought out that I thought was really stunning in the in the study and then the announcement was the mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Yeah, has the same physical effects as if you were smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, I'm not a smoker. I've never been a smoker, but that was just a stunning uh, kind of analogy to, I think, bring home to a lot of people how we have as a population just been so disconnected and our urge to get back uh, is what's been impeding our ability to, to get back to being healthy. Yeah, there's um, nothing better than having a community. Um, I I read a great book called Lost Connections by Johan Hari back in 2019. And I never, although I knew how vital my own recovery support group was, I never really understood how it, I know it saved me and I know it was my safe space where I wouldn't be judged, my psychologically safe space. I didn't really realize how when those connections were taken away and we went into a Zoom world, how it must have been for people that were just getting sober or just um, in the middle of their depression or starting in anxiety or whatever it was and how we were we were forced to be isolated. And, and the effect of that um, has been tremendous and we're, we're watching it and we're hopefully trying to come up with some uh, solutions that are accessible to our community. And, and there, you know, partly in lies the problem, right? Because of the work that I do, uh, a lot of people reach out. I just got a text from my husband that said, um, a woman from the store is going to be reaching out to you later. Uh, her daughter seems to be having some mental health issues. Now, they're not coming to me for help clinically, but they know that I would know where to refer them. You know, if I hear about, well, do you have anxiety? Is it depression? Is it sober? Like I have a list, I have resources, but it's very difficult to get into these spaces today because they are overwhelmed, Marnie, as you know. They're not only overwhelmed, but if we talk about the effect to the workforce workplace, 
Um, as a clinician, I can tell you, and I've been doing this work now for more than 40 years, um, what I'm concerned about is who's coming from behind me coming up next, yeah. because um, I'm not going to be able to do this for, for a long time. And as a clinician, there is a certain amount of our own self-preservation and mm-hmm. self-wellness yeah. and self-care um, that has to go into it so that we can continue to be effective Yes. Uh, in the work that we do, we have to maintain that kind of balance. And sometimes you literally have to disconnect from practice work or clinical intervention work because it's very intense emotionally. And we absorb that trauma, um, you know, in very permeable ways that sometimes are obvious and sometimes are very not so obvious. Mm-hmm. And we realize it later. And um I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Valley Bank. To know that we have a bank that thinks so much about mental health in the workplace has made me so proud. Valley Bank is my bank for business and has been since the day I opened 10 years ago. When I was introduced to them, I was told that I was going to really like everybody that worked for the bank. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out they were right. I like everybody that works there. They are good people, nice people, and they care about others. They care about the community. But the thing I am most proud of is how they are welcoming the conversation about mental health in the workplace into their bank and willing to take that risk and talk about it in our community. Valley Bank is definitely forging the way in business to open up this conversation. If it wasn't for my father's employee assistance program back in the day, 28 years ago, I would not be on this podcast today. It just goes to show when you offer these resources to your company and to your team, miracles can happen. I am one of them. So Valley Bank not only offers an employee assistance program to their staff and their team members, but they also send out these great vitality monthly communications, bi-weekly wellness resources, and they're willing to sponsor a podcast that is about mental health in life and in business. So if you have not connected with Valley Bank, I highly recommend you do. Well, if you've been listening or watching the show for a while, you know that I love nothing more than recommending a great book a great podcast show, a great resource. And this book, Keep Kicking, Frisco, Keep Kicking, is such a great book. And I highly, highly recommend it. So Dr. Torres in his mid-20s in his second year of med school was being rushed to the hospital, rushed to the ER. They didn't know what was going on with him. It turns out he was suffering from panic attacks and anxiety. But you know, the doctors, his own colleagues didn't know what to do with him. And Dr. Torres was forced to treat himself. So doctors always take a medical history and Dr. Torres' self-assessment was no different. And keep kicking Frisco, Torres describes what wacky journey of self-discovery can be like and sheds light on how the accumulated eccentricities of our upbringings shape the person we grow up to be. Mm-hmm. Panic attacks and all, everybody. So apart from this incredible family history story, the book aims to demonstrate how the lives of others intersect with our own and shape who we become. For those who suffer from anxiety, depression, and fear, Dr. Torres' story absolutely offers hope. 
for the future and a blueprint of how to overcome the panic we sometimes face in our own lives. So check out the show notes, click on the link, get the book. You won't regret it. Keep kicking. I'm concerned because the workforce within the helping fields, the social service fields, um, are not attracting and getting people to come into them. We spent a lot of time in high schools talking about STEM and science and language and um, manufacturing and computers and all these great things. But when was the last time you heard somebody give a lecture at a high school level about how great it is to go into the helping field? Like never. Like never. Like never. Exactly. Yeah. And until we do that, and until we bring a level of um, uh, compensation yes. to the field as well, because many like myself in the nonprofit sector, um, we're not doing this because we're wanting to be wealthy. We're doing this because we want to be helpful um, or we have a personal reason that brought us into into it that that we're working through and uh, it's not a place to get get wealthy from the monetary sense you can find other ways to contribute to your emotional wealth but not from your physical and so until we come up with a way to um, remunerate people and come into the field and do the work that's so necessary from as i said food insecurity housing insecurity mental health and wellness um we're going to continue to have problems with finding people that are available and the need. It's like a very small funnel, right? Everything is up at the top and there's a really small spigot at the bottom that not a lot of people are being able to get through. Yeah. Well, that is the truth. And um, if it wasn't for divine intervention and my father's employee assistance program at New York hospital back when I was 21 years old, I would not be having this conversation with you. Um, and that was really a lot of uh, luck that that happened. And he asked me if I was having suicidal thoughts. And now the opportunity that I get to talk about mental health in the workplace and how vital it is that we, I really feel like we need to get a little more sometimes creative too, because there aren't a lot of, there's not a lot of encouragement to get into this field. Number one, like you brought up, we, we desperately need it. Yes, we do. That is for sure. You know, I'd like to just pause for a moment or maybe park and talk more because I just did an editorial um, as we came out of Mental Health Awareness Month in May for our local paper here in Orlando for the Orlando Sentinel about employer-based healthcare. You know, we need to really congratulate and applaud and support the employers that have built mental health services and benefits into their employee plans. Yeah. Because it's really, really important. But what really also needs to happen simultaneous to that is that we don't do enough, I think, in educating the workforce that 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 employee is a member of, of what is in that benefit plan and how do they access it and what does it mean and, and how can they utilize it. And I, I so wish that they would change the name from employee assistance programs because it sounds like you're getting referred to the HR director for some sort of punishment or grievance. And I wish it had a better name, uh, but it doesn't. Hmm. Well, but if, yeah. if, but if someone's listening today and they have employer, you know, through their employer, they get health benefits, take the minute to go to your HR team or director or individual or call up the company that's administrating the plan 
and ask them what is the benefits that you have for mental health services. The state of Florida and federally across the country, you know, mental health plans are required to have something called parity, which means that if you have certain benefits on the health medical side, you must also have them on the mental health side or the behavioral side. So take a minute if you haven't looked at your plan and see what your benefits are for therapy, for medication, for different types of treatments, because there really are quite a number of different ways to go about finding what uniquely works for you and finding that special sauce that helps you feel better about what's going on with you emotionally. But take a minute and talk and invest in finding out what's there, not just for yourself, but also if you've got family, because we know lots of family members are struggling as well, particularly if you have children, what are those benefits for them if they're part of your plan uh, and how they can get access? Well, it's uniquely the reason that I brought it up because um, the work that I get to do today and what I spoke about in the book was about having um, more conversations about the benefits that these employers have. So my husband just this morning gave me the, because every time there's a resource that comes out of UPS about mental health benefits, he just passes it over to me. And he <laughs> says, this is great. He says, look, there's Teladoc and there's, there's uh, opportunities. Um, he actually said to me, he said, if you want to go and use this between going to see your therapist that you pay cash for in St. Petersburg, you have this option. And I was like, well, thank you, honey. I will probably use that because I could use more therapy today than I've ever had. And I am not new to therapy. I'm you know what, Sharon, here's something else. You don't have to seek out therapy when things are bad. Well, that's obvious. I mean, yeah, of you course. can use it for wellness too. I mean, we enroll in Planet Fitness or the Y and we go and work out because we know as women that we're predisposed to heart conditions and heart attacks. And that's the number one killer of women more than breast cancer right now. And so we're proactively reading about diet and all of these things that we can do so that we don't get to that end result, but we can do the same with our mental health and wellness. We can be prophylactically proactive. We don't right. have to wait for the crisis. We don't have to wait for the event. We don't have to wait for that time where we're completely debilitated. We can go and build up our resilience muscle. And I like to say that I think that resiliency is not a trait. I hate resilience. Either have or don't have. It's a muscle that has to be exercised. And so you can go and you can build that up with really an opportunity to engage with self-discovery and awareness and care within that therapeutic relationship. Right. Although the people that are struggling today, and let me tell you, because I am one of them and have been. Nobody is looking for a wellness program or go to a gym when they want to kill themselves. So the reason that I stay focused on mental health versus wellness or calling it anything else than what it actually is and calling my book, The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business, because everybody wants to change my talk to something that sounds better. But I'll tell you what, when I wanted to die myself personally, and even though it was 28 years ago, it feels like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. There's literally no way I would have ever gone to this EAP or my father would have never known about it if they weren't vocal about it within the company. So what I try to encourage people to do is like, you know how they roll out benefits every mm -hmm. November 
right? And um, I, we did the same thing in my company and everybody talks about all the benefits that you have, but they should absolutely be including the mental health benefits. And if you are going to talk about burnout, which seems to be very, very popular right now, you have to find out in your own company what type of resources that you can provide to your staff members. Mm -hmm. Because if, if somebody in the workplace can be the catapult, because we spend most of our time at work, because unfortunately or fortunately we have to pay our bills. If somebody can be the catalyst to getting you that help, then I think that it is, is not up to the employer to become therapists. No. no way do we want that. HR is not, it's human resources. It's not human therapy. <laughs> But we have to we have to get more vocal about it and be more bold about it instead of telling them that we're going to have a wellness day on World Mental Health Day, October 10th. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And as a team member, as an employee, you can drive the decision making about what happens from an HR That's standpoint right. by coming together with more than just yourself and going and saying, we'd like to see this or this is what's happening for us. I've right. had a number of employers reach out to me to say, how do we create a mindful workspace? Now, that's not something that you typically find in an HR manual or in your employee guide, but it has to do with what is the environment of the space physically? How is it adapted to people that might need accommodations for sound, for light, for proximity? There are a lot of different ways to create mindfulness in a workspace um, that is subtle, but has great impact. Yes, that is correct. So let's talk about how we can help that person that might be struggling um, watching or listening today with this, with the Mental Health Association of Central Florida. Can you sure. tell us a little bit about what, if nobody has ever heard about it, what it is? And I know it's been around since, I don't know. 1946. Dear Lord. So longer than Mental Health America. Exactly. Five years before the National Mental Health Association, which is now Mental Health America. And so uh, that's our kind of uh, parent organization, if you will, or the bigger umbrella. We were started in 1946 as the Central Florida Hygiene Society. And wow. it was because you had family members who had family members that were in mental health crises that were institutionalized and removed from their community. And I am convinced that if you were to open back up those clinical records, those medical files, you would find that they are people that had mild to moderate depression or anxiety mm -hmm. or substance use disorders that were comorbidity, commingled. And, you know, psychology, psychiatry is less than 100 years old as a science. We're not very we're young. Yeah. And so we were grappling at that point. And then, you know, what happened is over time, the association, even though we say we're Central Florida, there isn't a part of the state or rather the world that we don't try to help. In fact, after COVID came around, we switched a lot of like others, uh, organizations into kind of a telehealth modality. Lots of our stuff went virtual. And so we continue to maintain those groups that we offer uh, on virtual and virtual therapies and have people as far away as South Africa. Nice. 
So I like to say that if I'm reaching one person today, that's a good day. That's one person that got some assistance. Programmatically, we provide a program called Connections, which I like to say is anybody can answer the phone, we answer the call. Nice. And it's precisely what it says. People calling in to say, I need this. Can you help me? And we take them through a series of questions. Uh, do you have transportation? Do you not have transportation? Do you have insurance? Do you not have insurance? Do you prefer a male therapist to a female therapist? Do you want something in proximity of 10 miles or 20 miles? Um, lots of different eliminating information. And then what happens is our team here will take up to 48 hours to 72 hours. And we're going to go through our databases and we're gonna call the providers that meet that criteria to see if they have openings. Mm. And then we'll call you back to connect you. So mm. part of what you said earlier, Sharon, about we just don't give you a list and say, here, try calling. We're gonna give you a personalized and verified um, opportunity to connect with somebody that's available right away. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing that we do um, that is really important, and we didn't really have a chance to touch much on it, but here in the state of Florida, because we are not a Medicaid-expanded state, we have an incredibly high number of people without health insurance, mm -hmm. which is oftentimes the delimitator of what stops them from getting mental health counseling or assistance. And so about 13 years ago, we opened the area's first outpatient clinic that provides therapy and psychopharmacology assistance for anybody over the age of 18 that does not have health insurance and it's free. Mm, beautiful. And they can come in person or they can come through telehealth. We are a member of the Florida Association of Free and Charitable Clinics. And this behavioral health service that we provide does not require you to have proof of residency anywhere. Um, you don't have to reside anywhere in proximity to the clinic. As I said, you can come from outside of the area if you need to, and you can stay for as long as you need to until you feel like you've gotten the assistance that you need. We don't have a timer that says you can have six sessions. Hmm. That's beautiful. So uh, for those that don't understand the difference between, um, say, NAMI, um, a mental health association of central Florida, a crisis center. What, yeah. what, what is the separation? What is the difference? So NAMI is the national association for mental illness. And, um, that was a group that was started as family members who had family members who were mentally ill as a robust way to offer support. And obviously now across the country, and especially here in our regions in Florida, we have wonderful NAMI, uh, chapters, and we're very tight with um, NAMI Go, which is the NAMI of Greater Orlando. Um, but they don't necessarily provide um, outpatient therapy like we do. Mm -hmm. Their uh, support, their training, um, lots of um, uh, guidance groups for, as I said, family members or even individuals and peers that are sharing lived experiences. A crisis center, a Baker Act receiving facility that generally usually is operated by a hospital or a county is where you're, uh, where you can go for about 72 hours of evaluation if you're deemed to 
be at risk for hurting yourself or someone else. And that's really what it is. It's a crisis stabilization um, with the goal to get the person stabilized so that they can get into treatment um, uh, immediately. Sometimes that obviously doesn't happen. And in some cases, like here in Central Florida, um, the largest provider of outpatient mental health services is our jail. Mm. <laughs> Stop me in my tracks. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. we sometimes, unfortunately, um, misinterpret individuals that are in the middle of a mental health crisis or have a mental illness with someone that is violent or criminal, yeah. and they're not the same. No, they're not. Wow. Well, I will say that I am glad that uh, the Mental Health Association of Central Florida exists. I am glad that you have been a part of it for so long and that you are doing everything that you can to help that one person that might be listening or watching because there are many people out there that certainly need the help. Um, right now in this beautiful month of June, especially our LGBTQ plus community in this Pride Month, um, we hope that if you are struggling today that you will reach out because there are people that want to help and that can help. So um, the bravest thing to do is to say, I need help. We we have uh, as on all of our literature, it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And what does that, and it, that doesn't have a timer on it either. And I would like to add that if you're listening and you find that you are in that place, that's dark and you don't feel connected or if you need immediate assistance and you're looking for a place to reach out, you can certainly reach out to us. But the National 988 Crisis Talk Line is also available. Uh, and I urge anyone um, that might be listening if they need it, it is a, a first step to connect uh, with somebody that is there to listen and assist mm -hmm. and also connect. So don't forget 988. Yep. And you could just click on that on the show notes. It's always there. We always want people to use the resources that are out there as we all trudge the road of happy destiny on this broken road to mental health. So thank you so much for being here, Marnie. I appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you for having thank us. Here. Don't forget to check out Valley Perry for all your banking needs. They are supporting mental health in the workplace and beyond. Thank you, Valley. Don't forget to check out Keep Kicking Frisco. Keep kicking. You won't regret it. Link in the show notes.